My better half, my beautiful bride, who I like to look at early in the mornings and on Sundays and at night and all the time, amen, is here and she's got a word from God for you. And I'm very excited for her to deliver that and uh, you're in for a real treat. So put your hands together and, uh, and bless Holly as she comes to this pulpit, amen. Amen. So... Mama's proud too, but I am so glad to have my mom and my dad. They're right here in the front row, Howard and Brenda, and my aunt and my uncle. Yes, I'm, I'm, no, I'm from the South. We say aunt, not aunt. My aunt and my uncle, uh, Jerry and Betty Phillips here. It's been a pleasure to have them this weekend, and I just love having family with me. So I'm, I'm proud to have them here. Um, so what I want to talk to you about today is the title of this message is, Can I Change My Thinking? And I want to read to you from Matthew 13, 44, and it says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Father, I come before you and I ask you, Lord, <clears throat> That you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. That you would open the eyes of our understanding, God. So that we may know what is the hope of your calling and what is the glorious inheritance of the riches of the saints in Christ Jesus. And what is the greatness of your mighty working power to those who believe in Jesus' name. So, we started preaching this message on the kingdom I don't know how many weeks ago. It's been a few weeks ago. And I, I, I told him one day we were sitting, and there's been so many attacks on our congregation, so much stuff going on. And then in, even in our own personal lives, we've probably faced some of the hardest battles, toughest things we've, we've ever faced in our life. And um, it's all been since we started this kingdom message, this kingdom series. And um, I've been raised in the church. I mean, I've, I've probably was born on a church pew. I've been you know, in the church my whole life. So, you know, as they say, I cut my teeth on the back of a church pew. I was, I've never heard anyone preaching on the kingdom. I've never heard anyone talking about the kingdom. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure. What you have to understand about Matthew 13 and 44, this treasure, the kingdom of, of heaven, he says, is like the treasure. They would take, and they didn't have banking systems Back then in their culture, they would take and they would bury their treasure in the ground. And that's how they would take their, their, their life savings. They would take their money and they would go find somewhere in a field where no one would know where it was and they would bury the treasure. And that was their way of having a banking system, their way of, you know, having their retirement or whatever they needed for life. And so it'd be hidden in this field. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this, this man who finds a treasure in a field he buries it back in the hole where he finds it, and he runs out and he sells everything that he has, all of his life savings, all of his house, everything, all that he has, he sells everything, sells all out to go back and buy this field so he could obtain this treasure. And Jesus was talking about the kingdom. So what is it about the kingdom that has such an incredible value that Jesus says that a person is so important that you would sell all. You would give everything and become completely sold out just to obtain this kingdom. Jesus obsessed 
over the kingdom. It's the only thing that Jesus talked about. He was like a main message preacher. You know, Billy Graham was all about salvation. You know, he he would preach salvation messages. And you have preachers that would preach faith messages. And they they may preach something else, but they'd always circle right right back around to faith. Jesus was like a one-main message man, and it was kingdom. He obsessed over this kingdom. He said, there's grapes, and the kingdom of heaven is like. He sees a pearl, and the kingdom of heaven is like. He sees figs and nuts, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. He sees a lost son, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. He sees a mustard seed, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus could not shut up about the kingdom, and we don't know anything about it. It was his message, and the church is preaching all kinds of messages, but they're not preaching the kingdom. It was his main message. So if it was all he could talk about, why don't we know anything about it? Why aren't we studying and selling out all that we have, giving our all to find out what it was that Jesus found so important about the kingdom? Jesus wanted us to understand the kingdom of God, but we can't mesh the kingdom through a church filter. We can't try to mash kingdom through a church filter. We have to change the filter. For example, God is in control is wrong thinking. God is not in control. I've heard so many Christians, so many people say that, that God is in control. God is in control is just code for I don't know how that happened. It's just code for I can't explain it. So, well, God is in control. No, if God was in control, he'd have every problem in this world fixed before lunch today. God's not in control. Satan is the God of this world. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. And Satan is the one that, became, that, that, that obtained the, the dominion over this, over this earth. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 tells us that Satan is the God of this world. So we can't listen to this message. And I'm about to throw a bunch of scriptures at you. It's, it's about to get crazy. I know it's going to feel like you're drinking water out of fire hydrant, so I hope you have your notebooks. I hope you've got something to write these scriptures down. You need to take this message and do what I've done, and you're going to need to go back. You're going to need to look over it. You're going to want to look at the scriptures. You're going to listen to it again. You're going to want to, to, to meditate on it, to chew on it, because I've been thinking about this. I've been writing this stuff down. I've been studying this and trying to get it in to my thick skull about the kingdom, if this is the one message he's preached. So it's going to kind of be crazy so stay with me for a little while as I try to try to unpack kingdom to you as best as I can so in order for a king to be a king and in order for a king to have a kingdom he has to have a domain in which he rules I'm being I'm being flagged I'm sorry Uh, I'm so not used to standing up here live stream where's my tape here I can't go past this oh are you kidding me this is all I can move oh Oh, this is awful. I'm sorry for you online. I promise I'll stay right here so that you can see me. I kept wondering why Sarah was having the Holy Ghost fit back there. She kept doing this right here and waving at me. And I thought, what in the world is wrong? I was getting a little you know, baffled up here. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I was standing here and hold on to the pulpit. You know how hard it is to stand in one place when you've got so much information you've been studying for weeks and you're like about to explode? That's what I feel like right now. Hey, Pastor, he's like, you feel my pain. This is terrible. Okay. In order to be a king, you got to have a kingdom. You have to have a domain in which to rule. So a king can't be a king and a king can't have a kingdom unless he has a, a domain to have dominion over. So a king has to have a dominion in which he can have dominion over. So therefore, 
kingdom is a king extending his dominion, extending his domain. And there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. They're interchangeable. And also they're interchangeable with the the light. It's the light. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of light. Psalm 119 and 18. The psalmist said, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Not his physical eyes, his spiritual eyes. Open my eyes that I can see wondrous things from your law. So a kingdom has laws. A kingdom has, it has rules that it has to operate and it has to follow. I mean, if you live in America, in this kingdom, we have laws. We have rules. If you speed you're gonna, and you get caught, you're going to get a ticket, right? We also have laws like the law of gravity. If you drop it, it's going to hit the ground, right? So a kingdom has laws and rules, and the kingdom of God has its own set of laws, its own set of rules of which govern it. And the David, the psalmist was saying, open up my spiritual eyes so I can see these wondrous things, these wondrous things from your law. We don't get the word wondrous. We don't get the word wonder. We don't get the word awe or awesome when we're describing God or his kingdom. Wondrous is not legalism. His law is not legalistic. His law is not bad. His law is not full of a bunch of rules so he can be a fun sucker and ruin our life. That's not what he said. It's wondrous. He used the word wondrous. Well, we don't understand the word wonder or awesome because, you know, I can go to a burger joint and it was a wonderful burger. And then I can, I can see my mom and my dad and my aunt and my uncle and have my family with me and say, oh, we had a wonderful time. Well, which one was more wonderful, the burger or the family? We don't, in, in, our, in our day and age, we don't understand these terms. So this is a good thing. So we need our eyes opened to even be able to see and to understand and get the light of the revelation of the truth of his kingdom, of the laws that govern his kingdom. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance, that's kingdom, of the saints in the light. So the minute that you and I believe we are qualified to become citizens of this kingdom, we are qualified to become partakers and have this inheritance. So we are adopted in and we become sons and daughters, citizens, ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And then in Luke 17, 20 and 21, he said, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered them and said, this is Jesus answering, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here, physical eyes, or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So this kingdom is in a place. This extension of a rule is something that is in me. Romans 8 and 11 says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you. It's the kingdom within me, and when I accept Jesus Christ and I become a believer, I'm automatically taken and put in right standing and seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself to where I can be a partaker of this kingdom, and I can participate in the laws and the freedom that governs his kingdom while I'm here on earth. There's also a second kingdom. It's called the kingdom of darkness. Listen, darkness is not that I forgot to turn the lamp on. That's not what he's talking about. Darkness is ignorance. The kingdom of darkness is a realm in which it's, there's ignorance. So if you are operating in darkness, it's because you don't know what you should know. 
It's not having the revelation of the knowledge of the truth of the scripture so we operate in, in, in darkness. It's being blinded to the truth of the scriptures. And this is the kingdom that Satan operates in. Colossians 1, 16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. So just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Just because you don't believe in thrones and powers and principalities and wicked places, spiritual uh, beings in hot places and, and, and rulers of the darkness, just because you don't believe it and you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not real. The spirit world is unseen, and let me tell you, it's very real. So now in Genesis 2, I'm going to keep trying to move along. We have, we have, in Genesis 2, we have this domain narrative where we see ownership versus authority. God created the heavens in Genesis chapter 2. It goes through and tells us what all God has created. And so his ownership is not in question. God owns the earth. He owns the earth and the fullness therein. But there's a spirit realm. And the spirit realm where God is, is the parent realm. And it's why God made the heavens and then he made the earth. Because the, the, the physical comes out of the spiritual. It's why he made Adam, the physical, came out of God, the spiritual. So we're not questioning and we're not, there's no question about ownership that God doesn't own the earth. The question in, in, in what, what we're dealing with is the authority of the earth. So we have the dominion mandate in Genesis 1, 26 and 28. You would have read this if you were at the ark yesterday. We had a fun time on that trip. Um, so then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likenesses. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over, of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So man is mankind, okay? We're not talking about the, just a male. It's mankind, male and female. And he tells them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue means subservient, to dominate, to subject, to force, to keep under. He's saying, fill the earth and dominate it. Fill the earth and make it be subjective to you. Fill the earth and keep it under your feet. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God owns it, but he put Adam in charge of it. God is the owner, but he never meant for Adam to live apart and for the earth to live apart from the kingdom of heaven. It was supposed to be a smooth flowing, uh, working together a kingdom. But Adam committed high treason in the garden when he sinned. And when he did, he lost the stewardship. He was the manager. He lost that dominion and Satan got it. So Adam has lost control. And we see in Luke 38, we see the genealogy that God had two sons. We know God had two sons because Luke 3 and 38 says the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So Adam was the first son. The first son is the son after the flesh. Jesus was the second son. The second son is the son after the spirit. So they, they were born differently. One of the spirit, one of the flesh. You and I are either going to operate in one or the other. We're going to operate in the kingdom of darkness, which is the flesh, we're going to operate in the kingdom of light, which is the spirit. We are going to fall under flesh, carnality, carnal thinking, carnal living, or we're going to fall under spirit, walking in the spirit, living in the spirit. He who keeps his mind stayed on the Lord. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, who keeps his mind stayed on the Lord. That man will live in perfect peace. So 
if I want to know what the second son came to give, I have to study what the first son lost. I've got to know what did Adam lose. Jesus did not pay a horrible death on the cross so that you and I could just come to church and sit here and sing some songs and hear a message and go home. That is not why he paid a horrible death. Jesus paid a horrible death on the cross so that you and I could be in right standing and be restored. The righteousness means, Dallas talked about this in his sermon two weeks ago, it means to a position and he could restore us back to our rightful position as his heirs, as his sons, and we are as his citizens, as ambassadors, so we would be placed right back up and seated in heavenly places with him. Ephesians 2 tells me, that God is seated at the right hand of the Father and he has seated us in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father with Jesus Christ. So my spirit is sitting up in heaven at the right hand, which is the power hand of God. Jesus came to restore a power. He came to restore our dominion. He came to restore our authority so that we could be an extension of his kingdom of heaven into this earth. We were created to rule and reign in life. If you don't believe me, Romans 5, 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, that's Adam, the first son, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Oh, we sang about the blood today. Is this starting to make any sense to anybody? So Adam is a physical expression of his heavenly father. First, uh, Colossians 1 and 16 tells us that all things were created through him, the father. Adam was created through him, a physical expression of the spirit of God. Created in his image, do you realize we are a physical expression of the spirit of our father, God? So he's a, Adam's a physical expression of God's spirit. Adam was God's extension of God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So God created Adam and he puts him in charge of the earth. And he makes Adam God the owner, Adam's the manager. God delegated his authority, he leased it out to Adam. He puts him in charge of it and Adam loses it. And I want you to look at Psalm 8. Adam being the, the, the physical expression of the Spirit of God, of the likeness of the creator of the universe. And Psalm 8 says that God had crowned Adam with glory, for you have made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. When Adam realized that he was naked in the garden, Adam didn't look down and go, Where's my Cheetos? Eve, what have you done with my pants? Did you forget to do the laundry this week? Where did my pants go? He didn't look down and think his pants were missing. Adam looked down and he realized his glory was gone. Adam was missing his glory. He was clothed in glory. And the minute he sins, Romans 3 and 23 says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Sin robs us of the glory. Well, then what's the glory, Holly? I don't know what the glory is. The glory means the weight of God. It means the judgment of God. It means the splendor of God, the majesty of God, the view of God. Adam lost the weight of heaven behind his words. Adam lost this majesty and the splendor of God. And he 
was no longer clothed in that. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory. The light of the knowledge, how he wants us to know this. He wants us to know whose we are. He wants us to know what is inside of us. The light of the knowledge of the glory, the weight, the opinion, the view, the splendor of God. What is it? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory. His opinion, view, his weight. Of this mystery, here we are, this hidden treasure, this mystery among the Gentiles. What is this mystery? What's the riches of the glory? Here it is. Which is in Christ, in you, the hope of glory. Adam was clothed in the weight of God. And that is why when Adam spoke, the, the animals became whatever he named them. They became whatever Adam said. So when Adam spoke it, he had heaven's weight behind it. When Adam spoke it, it just became. Adam lost that glory. He lost that weight. But Jesus Christ came and he gave it back to us. And the church doesn't even know it. Adam was of his father, so he operated like his father. He was created in his image, so he, act, he acted and he operated just like his father. He didn't know how else to be. He only knew how to operate like the father. So in the six days that God did all of the creating, the animals had no identity. They didn't even know who they were until Adam named them all. So Adam spoke. If he called it a lion, it became a lion. If he called it a bear, it became a bear. If he called it a giraffe, it became a giraffe. And that's why there is so much power in our words. The power of death and life is in the tongue. We either bless with our words or we curse with our words. We either speak and operate in the spirit after the second son with our words or we speak and we operate out of the flesh after the first son with our words. We're, one, we're going to fall under one or the other. So my question to you is, what are you speaking over your children? What kind of identity are you speaking over your children? If you're a believer, you have the weight of the glory of heaven behind your words. What are you saying over them? What, what, if, what was spoken over you by your parents? Did they call you a failure? Did they tell you you'd never amount to anything? Did they tell you you'll just wind up in prison? How are you talking to your spouse? What's coming out of your mouth? Are you constantly negative? Are you always complaining? Do you speak negative words over other people? Do you talk bad about other people? What are you speaking over yourself? Look how much damage is created by our words. I believe that's why cursing is so damaging to us. That's why cursing, Satan knows how detrimental cursing is. When you curse, you're damning your job, you're damning your life, you're damning your, your spouse, your marriage, you're damning your children, you're, you're cursing your, your, your finances, you're cursing everything, your car, you think of, you name it, you're cursing everything in your life. And Satan knows that you have power in your words. He knows that that. So what does he do? Because he's afraid of you realizing that if you learn, and I learn, that we have the weight of heaven behind our words, He's afraid and he's terrified of what we'll do. Because he said, greater works would you and I do than Jesus did. Why? Because he knew he was going to go to heaven and restore all of the authority that was lost in the garden. That's right. 
So he doesn't want us to know it. So, so Satan will, will allow us and deceive us and, and get us, we'll start cursing. And then because of that, we completely rob ourselves from occupying all that God has already given us to occupy. So we fall short of living in the abundance that we're supposed to. We fall short of living in the prosperity, living in the health, living in the blessings that we're supposed to live in. We fall short of living in the kingdom of heaven here on earth like he did, intended from the foundations of the earth earth for us to live in you know Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and it took them 40 years to occupy what God said they could already have because they wouldn't shut up they kept complaining and out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks the Bible says so what's coming out of your mouth what are you doing to yourself God ain't doing it it's probably us doing it God's not the one cursing us we are do you realize that you as a believer, you have the weight of heaven behind your words? You're like, Holly, you're just out there. I don't believe this. Well, look what Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty two through 24. Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. When you bind it, heaven backs it up. When you loose it, heaven backs it up. That's what Jesus is saying. So can you change your thinking? Can we change our thinking? The earth wasn't meant to respond to Adam's hands. It was meant to respond to Adam's voice. Adam never touched anything with his hands until he sinned and God cursed the earth. So Adam lost the weight of heaven behind his words, but Jesus Christ came and gave it back. Romans 8. 20 and 22 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So now we have hurricanes because the wind doesn't know how hard to blow because it has no governor. Now we have floods because the, the rains don't know how much to, to pour out of the heavens because it has no governor. And we ignorantly call these things acts of God. They aren't acts of God. Jesus rebuked the storm. Jesus rebuked the wind and told the storm, peace be still. And it responded to his voice. He couldn't rebuke himself. He wasn't rebuking God. If he wasn't rebuking God, then who was he rebuking? He was rebuking Satan. So remember, if you want to know what the second son gave, you have to figure out what the first son lost. So Jesus comes, and he talks about authority, not ownership. God owns it all. So Jesus comes, and he says, All heaven and all earth, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And Jesus says in Matthew 18 and 18, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. So Jesus now flips it, and he now makes the earth respond first to heaven. He's, now he's flipped it. So now he says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If any two agree on earth, it shall be done in heaven. So now heaven responds to earth. 
And there's a difference in the kingdom of heaven and the place of heaven. Jesus isn't talking about the place of heaven. Jesus is talking about the extension of a rule. He already rules the heavens. God is already ruling the heavens. He already has that. So that's why he says, when you pray, you pray in this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's already been ruled and it's already done in heaven. So Jesus came to give us what Adam lost, the extension of the rule of the kingdom of God here, now, on earth. Not in eternity when we get there, right now, right here on this earth. So what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about it? Are you going to sit around and just wait and moan and groan for Jesus to come and take you in the rapture and feel powerless to change your circumstances? Or are you going to realize that Jesus Christ gave you authority and he has, he has given you the keys of the kingdoms and he said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So are you going to use the keys of the kingdom and step in and start occupying what he told you to occupy? Are we going to continue to, to moan and groan and just wait for God to come back living well? far beneath and below what we were destined to live what are you going to do I'm not going to just pray and say oh God deliver me from this world no I'm going to use the keys of the kingdom and I'm going to extend the rule and the reign of my father into my circumstances here on this earth and I'm going to invite God to interfere in my behalf in my circumstances is your thinking changing yet how do I do this? How do I bring the kingdom of heaven down into the earth? Well, he told us in Matthew 6, when you pray, pray in this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Some of us aren't getting breakthrough because we never even get to the win. We never get past the when, when you pray. He didn't say if you prayed. He said when you pray. We're not getting breakthrough because we've lost the art of prayer in our modern American culture. We do not pray. We get in our prayer closet. And we think we get in our prayer closet. We whine. We complain. We groan. We fuss at God. We shake our fist at God and tell him how angry are you. I'm so angry at you because you did this to me. And God's going, I didn't do this to you. I already gave you the keys of the kingdom. I already put my son on the cross and he shed his blood so that you could have the victory. I already defeated the devil. I'm waiting for you to get up and do something about it. We aren't praying. Prayer is how we extend the kingdom of heaven, the healing, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, why aren't they happening in our culture? Why aren't they happening? Why aren't we seeing it in the church? I ask this all the time. God, I want you to back up your word with miracles, signs, and wonders, just like they prayed in Acts chapter 4. Why are we not seeing it? Because the church isn't praying anymore. The pagans are praying, but the church is asleep. We have so much apathy in the church, and we're no longer praying. And if you're going to get the kingdom of, of God, his laws, the wonder of your law, open my eyes so that I may see the wonder. 
standards of your law, God. If you're going to get your glory back, you got to get on your knees. If I'm going to get my glory back, I've got to get on my knees. And I'm not talking about sissy prayers like, uh, you know, bless the food, God. I'm not talking about now lay me down to sleep. Uh, you know, I'll, I'm not talking about a bedtime prayer. I'm talking about prayer where you shut the door, you shut everything out, and you get on your knees and you get before God Almighty and you pray in the Spirit. You pray the Word of God. You pray the will of God. You pray till you get breakthrough. You don't get up off your knees until you can walk out of that closet with peace. If you're mourning, you cry. If you're happy, you shout. And you stay in your prayer closet and you don't leave until you know in that moment that you got your breakthrough. And if it takes you nine hours, it takes you nine hours. If it takes you 15 minutes, it takes you 15 minutes. But we're too lazy. The other thing you have to do, what am I going to do about this? You've got to pray. Let me tell you something. You try to go pray like that, all hell's going to break loose in your life. You try to go pray like that. Satan's going to do anything he can to keep you out of that prayer closet. You, he'll, he'll do everything to keep you out of it. He doesn't want you to see the wonders of the kingdom's laws. He doesn't want you, your eyes to be open to the truth. Because he doesn't want the church to have the power to do what Jesus did on this earth. The other thing we have to do is we have to occupy. We, we do have spiritual warfare but our warfare is not to win. Our warfare is to occupy. Preachers are preaching dualism. There's a big great God in heaven and there's a big great devil and they're at this big old war and they're battling and you and I are the prize. That is wrong thinking. That is absolutely wrong. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ already defeated the enemy. And the Bible says he even made a spectacle out of him. Satan is already defeated. I am not fighting for victory. I'm fighting from victory. I'm not fighting to win a battle Jesus already won it. I'm fighting to occupy what God said in his word is legally and rightfully mine as his son, as his heir, as his citizen, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I'm fighting to take back what the enemy has stolen from me, and I have the power and the authority because the weight of heaven is backing up my words. The weight of heaven is backing up my prayers. Are you changing your thinking yet? Are you changing your thinking yet? You see, this is how we pray. I boldly enter into the throne room, into the prayer room. And I do it boldly because I already know I'm coming from a position of victory. I already know that God's already won the battle and he's already defeated the enemy. I already know this. So I walk into my prayer closet and if I'm praying for protection, I go in and I come in and I say, Oh, I thank you, Father God. I thank you that you are protecting me. I thank you because you said in your word, Lord Jesus Christ, that no weapon formed against me will prosper. So I thank you. You that you said in your word that you are my shield, you are my strength, you are my buckler. I thank you in Psalm 91 that you said that no, uh, that, that the angels will hold me up lest I dash my foot against the stone, that no evil will come near my tent, that I don't have to fear the terrors by night or the arrows by day. I thank you, God, because you have already protected me. I'm not asking for it. I'm thanking you for it because you already gave it. That's how you pray.
Philippians, he told us in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and in your minds in Christ Jesus. Bring me your phone. Thank you. Thank you. I don't thank you for something that I don't have. I can't thank God for something that I don't already have. The problem is we don't believe he already gave it. We marginalize the cross of Christ. We marginalize the death that he paid to give us back what Adam lost. Here you go. You can take that back. And we don't believe, thank you. So when I pray, I'm supposed to come in to his, to his presence and I thank him for it. I ask with thanks because I know I've already received. John 14, 13 and 14, Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Do you know that word means to demand as something do. The word ask means to demand as something do. So you could honestly say it like this, and if you demand me anything in my name, I will do it. But we're not making a demand on God. We're not asking and demanding God anything. When we come in and we ask, when we make a demand, we're making a demand on Satan to give us back what he stole. I am demanding that I get and occupy back what is legally and rightfully mine that my Savior gave on the cross for me. In Acts chapter 3, the other thing we need is we're going to have to pray. We need to occupy. Some of us need to take our health back. We need to take our kids back. We need, to take, we need to take our finances back. We need to take back what the enemy has stolen from us. We need to occupy and we need to, we need to walk in authority. And Peter and John, they went by the gate beautiful and saw a lame man laying there. And Peter looks down and he says, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Walk and seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. So they didn't pray, they just said. You see, Jesus preached kingdom and ran around for three years with these dudes, showing them and saying, Oh my goodness, you, you have little faith, don't you get it yet? I mean, I've already took five loaves and two fish and I've multiplied it. I calmed the sea, I spoke to the storm, I've healed, I've raised the dead. I mean, how much more do I have to do for you to understand that you have the weight of heaven's glory behind your words, that you are clothed in the glory of God because of what I'm about to do for you on the cross? They finally got it. And so they didn't pray, they just said, I don't have money, but what I have to you in the name of Jesus. And as they said it, they had so much faith, get up and walk. Why aren't we doing this in the church? Why aren't we going to hospitals and laying hands on the sick and getting them out of their beds? Why aren't we praying over people? Why aren't we delivering people? Why aren't we laying hands on people? The kingdom. We don't understand the kingdom. Can you change your thinking? What the disciples did, what Peter and John and the disciples did, they went into an upper room in Acts chapter 2. And they got clothed with glory by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. 
they got up and they stayed in that upper room until the glory came upon them. Jesus went to heaven, but he left the Holy Spirit here, and that glory got on those disciples, and that's why they were able to go and look at the beggar and say, I don't have money, but what I have, I command you in Jesus' name to walk. You see, they had to change their thinking. Even Jesus, the perfect teacher, had a hard time changing the disciples' thinking. It took them three years. This kingdom thing, it's not going to come easy to us. Even the children of Israel, it took them 40 years to change their thinking, thinking so they could actually occupy what God said was already theirs. When I occupy, the kingdom of heaven extends into the earth. Because the earth was never meant to operate apart from the kingdom of heaven. But Adam sinned, and he forfeited that. In 2 Corinthians 3, 4, 3 and 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 tells us that Satan is the god of this world. So the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You can be saved, but not have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And if you are saved and you don't have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, it's because you're not operating in the kingdom. Jesus said, I am the door. He wants salvation to be the beginning. The kingdom is getting past the door and into the house. Are you changing your thinking yet? Salvation is not get out of hell free card. It's the door. It's the beginning of stepping into his kingdom and operating and living in the house of his kingdom, living in his blessings, living in the healing, living in authority, living in righteousness, living in peace, living in joy, and living in the Holy Ghost. Salvation is simple, but the kingdom of heaven is not. Will you come, Matthew? And I'm, I'm going to close. In Mark 4, the sower sows, and the mystery of the kingdom of God hides. God has secrets. He hides the kingdom behind stories, and to the hearer, they're just a nice story. But to the seeker, it's revelation. It's light into his kingdom. It's the hidden treasure that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 13. See, the kingdom doesn't come to the casual. It doesn't come to the casual. The kingdom of God comes to the seeker. Jesus would talk code when he'd speak these parables to the crowd, and the disciples would say, Jesus, why? Why won't you speak plain with them like you do with us? Because Jesus knew that the crowd, the casual, they were there for the fish and the loaves and the healing line. That's all they were there for. But to the disciples who were following him, when he spoke clearly to them, they were there. They had sold all that they had to follow Jesus. They weren't casual. They were a seeker. They had given up everything in their life. They had sold all out to Jesus. Nothing came first in their life. They wouldn't watch five hours of television and pray two minutes. They wouldn't spend a whole week and never bow their knee in prayer. They wouldn't spend all this time going to ball games and, tar- and toting kids here and there and being busy with life and not get in their word. They were seekers. They gave up everything to follow Jesus Christ. My question to you is which one are you? Are you casual with God? Do you think that Christianity is about you coming and sitting on the pew 
and getting a, hearing some good music and getting a good message and going home and that's it? If that's you and that's how you're living your life, you're just in the door. You haven't even stepped into his house yet. He never meant for us just to get saved and become a believer and then do nothing with the rest of our life. Are you the casual or the seeker? Will you, will you change your thinking? Ephesians 1 and 18 makes so much more sense now. When Paul prayed over the church of Ephesians, not to unbelievers, he prayed, Father, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Open the eyes of their understanding so that they may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the glorious riches of the inheritance in the saints? And what is the greatness of his mighty working power to those who believe? It makes a lot more sense when you think of that prayer through kingdom filter. Our last scripture, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. I'm going to pick up with this scripture next week. And we're going to keep talking about this next week. I've got the rest of the other half of my message. This is just half of it. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Will you change your thinking I know we can. I can change my thinking. The question is, will you? Will you move from being a casual Christian to a seeker? A casual and no longer be a casual believer. Will you begin to get on your knees in prayer, get in your word and start learning the word, understanding the scriptures and, and, and meditating on them so that you will no longer be conformed in your mind to the world. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because he knows that our mind is broken and he's got to change our thinking. He knows he's got to change our thinking. So what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now through this message? What's he saying to you in this message right now? I want to close with this prayer for you. Father, Ephesians 5, 26, I pray you that you may sanctify us having cleansed us by the washing of water with your word. And that you might present to yourself, us, the church, in all our glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that we will be holy and blameless. God, Open our eyes to the truth and wash our minds with the water of your word. Change our thinking, Father. I pray, God, that you would help us to realize who we are and whose we belong to. 
So we'll stop being beat up by the devil and we'll stop being beat up by the problems in our life. We'll stop being tossed back and forth by every circumstance that comes in our way. Give us our peace back. For those that have been robbed of their peace, I command it to come back to them in the name of Jesus. Open their eyes to see the truth of the word today and give them back their peace. Give back the joy and the health in Jesus' name. Help us change our thinking, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. If you're listening, you're watching online, and you gave, and you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ, none of this kingdom operates for us unless we believe. You have to, you have to accept Christ. And if you want to accept Christ, would you text the word believe? to the number that you see on the screen. If you're in this room and you want to receive Jesus Christ, you've never accepted him, or maybe you walked away from him and you want to receive Christ, would everybody bow your heads, please? Close your eyes so we can give some privacy in this moment. If you need Jesus Christ and you're saying, you know, I really want to believe, I need this in my life. I've walked away from him. I want Christ. Would you raise your hand? I want to be a believer. Praise the Lord. Thank God everybody here knows the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this. All right, so if you're watching online and you'd like to accept Christ, would you just text the word believe we're going to get with you and we'll get you, and we're going to talk with you. We want to we help you take that, that, that journey and enter into that, that journey with the Lord.